Welcome to the Equipping You podcast, where our mission is to equip Alliance pastors and leaders to live spiritually healthy lives and lead healthy churches. Equipping You is a ministry of the Christian and Missionary Alliance. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org. Hey, 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 welcome back to Equipping You podcast. This is season eight, episode five. We're coming to you today from Reynoldsburg, Ohio, southeast suburb of Columbus, which is home of the Columbus Clippers, AAA minor league baseball team for years for the New York Yankees, but currently for the Cleveland Guardians. Yes, the Guardians. Me out to the ball game. Is this, please Take don't tell me this is going to be the singing season, Terry. The crowd, it already is. Oh, yes. Oh, my goodness. Yes, yes, yes. I can't take So, it. anyway, importantly about minor league baseball teams, that's where they, you ready for this, Alan? Uh huh. Disciple future MLB uh, major league baseball churches. And then they launch into the major leagues. And they do. So, that's going to be uh, our connection today. I'm Terry, church ministries leader for the Alliance. <laughs> and I'm Alan, director of development in the Eastern PA Alliance district. And Isaac Charles is here, the silent listener to every conversation, keeping us on task. I feel like you're giving him like a, a divine attribute when you say that. Well, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Divine-like attribute, perhaps. Okay. All so right. That sounds good. Today's guest on Season 8, Episode 5 is Rob Parker. Yay for Rob. Alliance planter, pastor in the great state of New Jersey, and a leader of a discipleship, disciple-making, multiplying ministry called Launch. And uh, Alan, you're familiar with Launch. Uh, what do you like about it? Well, what I love about Launch is that it's, well, I'm going to let Rob unpack it a little bit more, so I won't say too much, but I love the fact that it is not just a program. It is, you teach people how to think through the ways of Jesus, through the teachings of Jesus in the gospel. Uh, and then, and then I love that it's accompanied by coaching. You know, I think you're going to mention on the way, we all know what it's like to go to a training and come back home and forget about it, but it's a two-year process. So that that's a lot right there. I'll let Rob unpack the rest. Yeah. It's hard to forget something you spend two years of your life doing. That's a fair statement. So grab yourself a Verner's ginger ale. Oh, highly recommended by Jim Welty. It is good. One of our listeners from Community Chapel CNMA, pastor there in Oxford, Connecticut. And Verner's Ginger Ale was my drink of choice when I was a senior in high school working for Public Supermarket. Wow. Steve in, Wiggins uh, told me about Verner's, and now Florida. I am a fan as well. It is a great tasting drink. Haven't seen it recently, but Jim reminded of me, me of it recently. And so... Grab yourself one of those, sit back, relax. Here we go. So it's our privilege to welcome to Equipping You podcast, our good friend, Rob Parker. Rob, welcome. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to have you, Rob. Our pleasure. So uh, we like to give our listeners an opportunity to get to know our guests a little bit. Give us a brief timeline of your journey from growing up to coming to know Jesus to where you are today. I grew up in a very strong Pentecostal home 
And as we know, Pentecostal homes go to church about 15 times a week. <laughs> and so uh, <laughs> I think some of my funniest memories were actually on like New Year's Eve in those scratchy, itchy pants, sleeping underneath the pews and waiting for the clock to strike midnight. Yeah, I can always think of that. I think that's why I wear jeans all the time. I mean, even khakis I have a problem with. Um, but I grew up in a very strong Pentecostal home. And I walked away from my faith, like many young men do, became that ultimate prodigal, ran as far from Jesus as possible. But I think what was interesting is um, growing up in a Pentecostal home, I always knew the Holy Spirit was at work. So believe it or not, at the age of five, I remember the Holy Spirit telling me during a service that I was going to be a preacher. And I fought it my whole life. And I kind of equated to my son just graduated law school. And when he was four years old, I said, you're going to be a lawyer. He says, I'm not going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a baseball player. I said, you're going to be a lawyer. And uh, he just graduated law school. So, um, (laughs) but God always hunted me down and I came to a real crossroads. Um, I was recruited by a bunch of division one schools to play athletics and I messed up bad academically. So my parents sent me to the King's College in Briarcliff Manor, New York, and, um, big difference. Yeah. Big difference. And that's where I came to know Jesus. Um, I had a a real Kairos crisis moment where the Holy spirit actually spoke to me and he changed my life. And from that moment over on, I always said it was the greatest and worst day, greatest day because I re-engaged with Jesus. It was the worst day because I had a lot of catching up to do. And um, right away, I knew I was going to go into ministry. I was hoping like many young men to play athletics for the rest of my life. I ended up playing college football. I had a spinal injury, came home, and I found myself at Nia College. And at Nia College was when I really was trained and equipped uh, to be a youth pastor. I went to go work for a church, uh, <laughs> did not have a good church experience. Ministry was amazing, but uh, I walked away from the church and said, I don't think I'll ever do that again. So I went to um, work for Young Life, and God called me back into the pastorate. And went to go work for a non-denominational church because I was in uh, outside of Manhattan. My pastor said, you have to go get your master's to minister to people here. So I went to Alliance and that's where I fell in love with the CMA. My first, uh, my first spiritual crush was Jesus. My second spiritual crush was the Krishna Missionary Alliance. I am married to my wife, Sue, uh, best friend, partner in crime and ministry. We have four children, uh, Brandon, Becky, Ben, Luke, uh, my daughter is married, just had a baby, and they are going overseas to be IWs with the Alliance. Love um, it. So, yeah, so that's me in a nutshell. But my real calling was I knew when I was little. So when, really when I came back to faith, my relationship with Christ, I knew that was the point where I was going to be going no matter, no matter what everything else played out. Wow. That's uh, Rob, we all know you look incredibly too young to have had a son that graduated law school and a daughter already married and headed to an uh, international worker. So, wow, that's pretty cool. Um, so one of the things that we really enjoy uh, for our listeners is just letting them know who's... It's always encouraging to find out who influenced our, our guests as leaders. So like, who's been influential in you along the way? Um, I really look at it like... Uh periods of time in my life. Um, my 20s were my uh, men that mentored me from Kids Across America. It was a can of cook camp in Branson, Missouri. Yeah. And um, so I had several, Bruce Morgan, Stephen Moore, 
That was really my 20s. I would say Bruce Terpstra from Metro District yeah. was really has been a spiritual father to me. Really wow. saw something in me that really brought me into the Alliance and has really been that spiritual father along the way. And then I would say the last really kind of section of my life has been Leonard Sweet and Phil Newell from George Fox University, where these men have really poured into me personally, which has really been a, a real game changer for me. Wow. Yep. That is a good spectrum across there. I appreciate that. Yes. So I picture the moment you and your core team were sitting around a table saying, what should we call our church plant? <laughs> and you decide to call it after hours of conversation, the plant. <laughs> yeah, I would have liked to have been in that room too. <laughs> so how did the Lord call you to plant the plant? And what's the story behind the why the church is called the plant? Yeah. So I'll tell you the story behind becoming a church planter first. Okay. Uh, when I left when I left my youth ministry job uh, and went to work for Young Life, I really had an issue with church leadership. It was a uh, mm. Great, successful ministry, but I just saw something I did not want to become. It sounds horrible, but it's true. I, I said, if that was the type of person I was going to become, that senior pastor person, I, I couldn't do it. So when God called me back, uh, I said I needed to go to a healthy church. Cornerstone Christian Church in Wyckoff, New Jersey was that healthy church. Three weeks on the job, my senior pastor and I went for a walk. And he said, hey, you're going to be my first church planter. And I'm like, am I getting fired? Like I had no idea what a church planter was. And we were walking around the property and then around the soccer field. And I'm thinking, am I, did I just become a landscaper for the church? I had no idea what a church planter was. <laughs> and so I literally was like, I don't know what a planter is. I'm the most unhandy human being in the world. And he's like, stop. I want you to start a new church in the Bergen County area. And so for the next six and a half years, he just trained me to just learn to grow every aspect of church ministry, uh, really allowed me to go to every conference, to train under people, train under churches. And his goal was let Rob lead the vision of this church and then go plant another church. So he would be the preacher. My role was leadership pastor um, with, the, with the title of associate. And so we got to really create these, this discipleship process that really took our church from like 500 people to like 1,200 people within six years. And then I left to go plant another church. I was sent out by them. So we started working with the CMA. We were not, um, we were going to be, we began as a, an affiliate. We weren't even a full ch uh, CMA church plant because we were a non-denominational church. And Bruce Morgan was like, we, we need to see churches planted in Bergen County. So Bruce came alongside and said, let's be an affiliate. But within the first two years, we became a full-on CNMA church. I mean, I, as you know me, if you know me, it's tattooed on me. Savior, sanctifier, healer, coming king. Yep. I, I bleed the CNMA in a good, healthy way. But the way that we came up with the church's name was um, everyone was throwing out these crazy names. I mean, it was like one name after another. And then the, the name that I loved the most, everyone's like, no way. And so we called ourselves the plant team. Like we were the plant team. And then we just came to a meeting one day and we just said, listen, this is who everyone looks at us as, the plant team. And when you think about the plant, it's in scripture all around, the mustard seed, the harvest, uh, the, the vineyards. Let's just call ourselves the plant church. 
And so that's how the name came about from really bad names being thrown against the wall to saying, let's just simply be who we are called to be. Love it. And I love the organic, you know, nature of it. You know, that's, that's so rich in Jesus teaching and not just his like teaching, but his conversations with people. I am curious, the, uh, the church planner in me just makes me want to know, like, what were some of those bad names that didn't make it? Do you remember any? <laughs> Metamorpho, <laughs> um, <laughs> Masterpiece, Masterpiece. Wow. So it was like Master than P-E-A-C-E. Oh, my. And that's that's a wow. Yeah, exactly. Okay, exactly. So, the plant is a great name. Yeah. Any others? <laughs> We've actually almost changed our name once or twice, but because we've had... You know, by God's grace, such great movement, we were concerned if we changed our name, people would not even know who we were. So it works. It's not only worked for us, it's worked for our second location. So we're sticking with it. <laughs> well, it's a, it's a winning name. You should definitely stick with it. Yeah. I think it's uh, it really, and it really is in touch with the culture that you guys have built as well, and which we'll get to in a little bit here when we talk about one of the main reasons we brought you on here. But for now, we do want to hear about for you, what's been a highlight as a church planter? And then, you know, now you've been the pastor of the plant for, well, how many years is it now? It'll be, we were sent out 14 years ago, come June. All right. So wow. planter and pastor. So tell us about maybe a big highlight and a disappointment because church planters have both of those along the way. Um, I, I think the real big highlight, of course, has been to see the changed lives. Mm-hmm. No, there, there's nothing more beautiful than starting with someone at, you know, the, the starting gate. And walking them through coming to Christ, baptizing them, baptizing their children. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, like young adults, it's been it's been amazing. And I think one of the highlights has been as you've ha- you have this vision for what the church was and what the church could be. And I can say to both you men, and this is where I've been given a lot of freedom in the Christian Missionary Alliance, we have been able to really live out the old, uh, the, the early church, the New Testament church, where healings and deliverances and salvations are our norms. Even mm-hmm. this past Sunday, I got to pray over an 80-year-old 80 80 woman who was experiencing healing. And that's, it's almost like miracles become our norm. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, I love that. I was actually talking to one of my pastors. I'm like, oh yeah, I forgot to tell you about Sunday. And he's like, what? How do you forget about a healing about an 80-year-old woman? You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> Wow. So that's awesome. That's been that good. Awesome. That is pretty good. That's very yeah. good. Yeah. The, the biggest disappointment is, um, which we all feel is the loss of relationships. Mm. Um, the people that began with us that for different reasons stepped away. And I think one of the, the most painful moments was when one of our persons had said like, Hey, if only they stuck with us, they would have been able to experience the blessings that God has done. And it wasn't like um, a moment of, yeah, we could have really shown them. It was more of a, yeah, I really miss them. I wish we could have done this the whole time. So really the only pain has been the loss of relationships. Those who have began with us or have been with us who have stepped away and have missed missed out. Yeah. Well, uh, we have Isaac here, our faithful producer who is planting uh, a church right now in his spare time that he has. That's right. Uh, and so I'm sure he's listening carefully to find out what highlights and hardships to expect. So, <laughs> so uh, Rob, no doubt you've learned some valuable lessons along the way. Give us one or two important church planning lessons that you've learned 
from the good times and the hard times in church planning. It really goes in along with the name, the plant. One of my mentors has always said that the most important parable is the sower and the seed. Mm-hmm. And I've really, you know, being, you guys know, I'm just a wild and crazy guy, always high energetic. I wake up, I'm this scary. I go to bed, I'm this scary. And uh, yeah. in that, I've really had to, I'll, I'll, never tell, I'll, I'll never forget what Bruce Terpstra said. He said, stick with this for 13 years and see what God does. I'm like, 13 years? That's a weird number. He goes, trust me, watch what God does in 13 years. Hmm. It's the sower and the seed. You know, it's our job to plant. It's throwing the seed onto the hearts of individuals. And it's really, it's really up to God to do his work as people are open and receptive. And I had to really long that, learn that along the way. Mm-hmm. It wasn't about the wow. It was about walking with people to see them grow. I think really another one is, is planting the church is not the grand win. It's not that grand win. The planting the church the whole goal is to establish a gospel presence in a community that will be there for a long, long time. And so our goal is to plant a church that will be in, in the community of Mawa and West Milford for the next 80 to 100 years, unless Jesus comes back. And I had to really get to that point to realize, like, I am equipping, I'm empowering people, not for this generation, but for three or four generations to come. And that's actually been a th- a theme in our church is that we are praying for four generations of followers of Christ. So really having Mm -hmm. that mindset of how do we establish that? How do we really allow that to happen in our church? And here's my last one. If I can say one more. Absolutely. You can. And it has to do with spiritual warfare. God gave us armor and he gave us armor, not to keep us from the fight, but to be part of the fight. And I think we forget that God has given us spiritual armor so we can be part of spiritual warfare so that we play a role in the kingdom of God. And I'll never forget in my church planting days, um, God gave me a vision and he took my breastplate of righteousness off me. It was a pretty cool vision. And the front of the breastplate was all beaten up, ready to break through to the other side. And so it was caved in, it was beaten up, it was dirty. But on the other side, you can see the, really the, the silhouette of my chest and said, God was saying, I'm always going to protect you, but make sure you're wearing your armor. And so we're in a fight and we need to teach people how to fight properly. Wow. That's good. Love it. That's rich, man. Great work. I knew you'd come up with some good stuff for that, man. I I knew we could count on you for a good answer to that question. (laughs) Uh, so, you know, one of the, probably the first reason you came to mind for having you on our podcast was launch discipleship. Uh, I've really admired you developing that over the years. I've seen fruit among pastors from our district that have been influenced and shaped by that. So tell us what launch is and how it came to be. So launch was established, um, before I took it over. My role was to reestablish launch. It was to really kind of reshape it, re reface it. Here's, here's what launch is. Launch is a ministry that is grounded on equipping leaders to establish a discipleship culture with the whole premise to multiply disciples, structures, and churches. We want to equip leaders to establish a discipleship culture where there is real multiplication of disciples, structures, and churches. And that's why we have it. That's been the whole premise to it. 
And so that's, that's that in a, in a nutshell, just kind of, because what we've seen is that, and Terry, you and I talked about this. There's always been a huge discipleship deficit in our country. Yep. And the problem is everyone's saying, oh, this has happened, you know, post COVID. The reason there's a discipleship deficit post COVID is there was a dis- discipleship deficit pre COVID. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so we established this years ago because every conference you go to, it's all about discipleship. And they keep changing it when literally there's been a biblical premise for discipleship, how to make disciples so that the kingdom will multiply. And we've lost that. And so we don't see structures multiplying. We don't see disciples multiplying and we don't see churches or IWs multiplying. Yeah. So what, what compelled you to jump into launch? What was burning in your soul that was really motivating you to say, I got to do this. When we planted the plant, God asked me to plant a church in my local community, right where I grew up. And I knew in Bergen County, New Jersey, 30 minutes outside Manhattan, that doing the show would not work. Just having a great worship service would attract only the Christian. And you plant, you plant churches to reach the lost. That's the only reason why you plant churches to reach the lost. And so we really went on this missional journey to reach our community. And so we knew that in order to reach our community, that we were going to have to, in the very beginning, establish a discipleship process, a discipleship structure where we can teach people how to make, how to be a disciple first, and then how to make disciples. And so we started with a small little group of 28 people and God did this great miracle where we went from 28 to 16 within four months. And uh, everyone who wasn't supposed to be there, everyone who wasn't supposed to be there left. And all of a sudden it started happening and we started reaching our community and God started bringing people to Christ. Hmm. And we saw that when, when we established a discipleship culture, that made disciples to multiply disciples in the first year of our church plant of our church, we had 70% of our congregation were people that we led and baptized. And it's still been that same type of fruit in our church right now. That's so encouraging to hear. It is. And we saw a deficit with other churches. So what Bruce had done was he just started having me coach planters. And so even before I knew what I was doing, I was coaching guys and I said, let's figure this out along the way. Let's fail along the way. Well, you know, building on what you said earlier, you know, we have a, a discipleship deficit after COVID because there was one pre-COVID. COVID didn't cause it. It revealed it. Yeah. Um, but that, you know, looking at that, I've known you now. I don't know how long I've known you. Five, six years, somewhere around there. It feels like yeah. I've watched you wrestle with launch, try to make it better. Uh, work hard in the immersions. So what's, what's lessons that you have learned about making disciples and making that a part of a culture of a church along the way? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question, Alan. I love how you even, you really even kind of prepped me for that. And I really thought about that. I think the biggest problem with discipleship is we don't contextualize the gospel. And so we go to these conferences and we just hear what other people are doing. And we just try to mimic them. We don't mirror them. We mimic them. Mm -hmm. And so we just kind of go for like the quick win. When you look at even Paul at Mars Hill, he 
listened, he learned, and he responded. And the big thing that, that I really do believe as someone says, you know, what, what makes launch unique? I think what separates launch from a lot of these um, discipleship structures out there is they give you the structure. And we're saying, we want to help you understand how to contextualize the gospel in your area, whether you're from a sub, sub a suburb in Ohio or New Jersey or a city in uh, Dallas or Detroit, or you're in rural upstate New York or rural West, Western PA. Our role is to not tell you what to do, but it's help coach you to contextualize the gospel in your context. And I think that's the one thing that we have learned and have been doing along the way. And we've seen, that's where we've seen the most fruit. That would be even uh, this weekend, got a, got a text message from a guy who was in New Jersey, Stonecrest, moved upstate, and he took all the principles from launch and he applied them upstate and he said, it works. And it works because he, he was empowered to contextualize how to equip disciples within his context. Love it. That's good. I appreciate that. We miss that so often. We try to just make uh, little disciple widgets, you know, that we can just replicate people with. And that's just not the way it works. Most church leaders are familiar with, with going to training events, coming back home with that slick looking notebook and sitting it on the bookshelf to impress those who come in and peruse your library but uh, really never doing anything with it, just putting it to the side. How have you designed launch so that it sticks with pastors and churches? A big thing was we created launch first and foremost for the CNMA. That was the first and foremost thing. Mm-hmm. We do have other churches from non, non-denominational you know, backgrounds or a Presbyterian church or even nonprofits that have and do work with us. But I really felt like for our denomination, like oftentimes you would go to different conferences and they're just broad. We wanted to create something that was really structured for the CNMA. So we thought about Christiology, missiology, ecclesiology, and how do we cause that to bring multiplication? So what we did was we said, we're going to have a two-year process because churches can't last longer than two years. Let's be honest. Do we all agree? Getting a church to commit to more than two years... (laughs) It ain't happening. So we said two years is really the healthy mark. We said every six months, we're going to have two days of training where we train on a very specific topic. The first is we want to engage them with the gospel, Christology, the fourfold gospel. We want them to really engage in the gospel. And for six months, we just train them every other week in coaching huddles. So you go for a two-day conference where you're doing a lot of hands-on training with a team of people. And then for six months, we are coaching that pastor to coach his team. So the first six months, we engage them in the gospel. The next immersion is focused on establishing a discipleship culture. For two days, that pastor is working with their team to establish a discipleship culture. And for the next six months, every other week, we are coaching them and helping them establish what this structure will be and look like. Then our third immersion is all on ecclesiology, understanding the church. Let's understand the church. How do we equip your community? How do we equip your leaders? And so we just do a lot of leadership training with discipleship tools. And then for the next six months, 
We coach the pastor who's coaching his team. And then the last immersion is all about multiplication, whether that be the multiplication of groups, whether that be the multiplication of campuses or churches, or whether that might might be the multiplication of IWs. Our goal is after two years, every church should multiply in one of those three ways. And then for six months, we coach them in what does multiplication look like and what are the metrics that you want to hit. And so that way, that's what makes Launch unique. What we've heard from our people, the right now we've had almost 60 different churches go through it. The key to all of this is the coaching. The coaching is first and foremost because we take established churches and we part and we partner them with other established churches, planters with other planters. And even this past session of launch, we've been working with IWs from our uh, really from the CMA in Japan, who even during the pandemic walked all the way through launch with us. And launch was the game changer because now they have a discipleship culture for multiplication. So the coaching is what really sets, I believe, launch apart. And the idea at the end of it, there's some form of multiplication that will happen. Yeah, that's beautiful. Love it. Love it, love it, love it. So just tell, you know, well, you kind of just did answer the next question we wanted to ask you, telling us a story uh, about, you know, how you've seen the impact of that. Uh, but uh, give us another one. Let's pull one out of your story bag about, you know, maybe a pastor you've seen change in his perspective or a church that's really moving and making disciples now because of participating in launch. I think the first one, and I'll just highlight that a little bit more, Alan, is the team in Japan. Mm-hmm. Um, they really jumped on uh, Omar Niebla's who's one of our coaches on our launch team. Love Omar. Uh, yep. How do you not, right? Yep, like absolutely. The greatest guy. <laughs> yep, absolutely. And so he was really coaching them to, to be part of launch and for the last two years. And they, they were really trying to figure out how do we do this here? And so they have seen real both growth in establishing a structure, but what multiplication looks like next. So that's for the IWs. For the church, I really feel like I have to say like our, our biggest win has been the Gospel Tabernacle out in Aliquippa, uh, Pennsylvania. Mm, Joel um, Repic, baby. And yep, Steve, Joel Steve Repic, Rossi. Yep, yep. Steve Rossi and John Jordan. Our goal with launch, and this is really, I think, important if a district superintendent is listening, launch is not meant to be um, for one team of people. Joel and Jordan brought their team out to launch four years ago, and they just got it. They did everything that was asked of them went to every coaching session, went to every immersion, brought their team, and they really had multiplication. Ended up changing some things in their church, adding a whole new discipleship structure with what they were already doing, and they just they launched. They took off. And they were going to go through launch again. And after the first immersion, we said, uh-uh, you guys are going to start launch out in Western PA. And so we talked to Dave Noggle, and he's like, yeah, this is the whole goal multiplying. Yeah. Yeah. So our goal is to multiply launch. So right now, uh, Joel and jo- uh, John are our team leads in Western PA for launch multiplication. They are working right now with 17 different leadership teams to see this happen out in Western PA, whether they're churches, whether they're nonprofits, whether they're missional communities, people that are wanting to establish a discipleship culture within their structures. 
All right, Rob. So uh, what can our listeners do if they want to be a part of launch, want to get more information on launch? Uh, give them some direction, my friend. If anyone is interested in launch, uh, there's really two things to do. One would be go to launchdiscipleship.com, launchdiscipleship.com. Check out the website and that'll give you a good broad overview of what launch is. The second thing you should do or can do is just email me at robparkercma at gmail.com and we can set up a phone conversation to really talk through what next steps would be. Um, So those are the two ways. Hop on the website, launchdiscipleship.com, and also email me at robparkercma.com. And we are willing to work with districts. We're willing to work with churches, whether you're in the Northeast, New England, or out in California. Our goal is Japan or Japan or Japan (laughs) help you establish a discipleship culture in your church and in your community. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thanks, Rob. It's really helpful stuff. I love your enthusiasm. Love your passion for Jesus. Love your tattoos, man. Love that (laughs) stuff. Good stuff there, man. Thanks for saying yes to being on the podcast today. We really do appreciate it. Love your passion for reaching people for Christ, making disciples, and not just doing that where you are, but you want to impact other churches, other leaders, and uh, invest in them. So greatly appreciate it. Thanks for joining us today, Rob. Thank you for having me. Love Rob's heart Mm -hmm. for uh, discipleship and for launch. Uh, Alan, uh, what would you say to uh, pastors, church leaders out there listening today? Well, as Rob pointed out, uh, COVID has revealed that we have a disciple-making deficit in the church. People have been discipled by many other things, but not often discipled along the ways of Jesus. So I love uh, Rob's passion to pursue that intentionally and to see that multiplied among pastors and churches far and wide. And I think launch is a great thing to get connected to for that reason. You got the instructions, so go do it. And, uh, you know, this would be one of those episodes. Well, obviously we think all of our episodes are worthy of this, but this might be one of those extra worthy of just sitting down with a pastor friend and processing it about like, so what's, What's disciple making like in your church? Yep. And uh, how can we be more intentional about that instead of just assuming that if we get people to come to all the programs that maybe a disciple will, will kind of fall out of that? Good word, Alan. Thanks for listening. Equipping You Podcast family, we appreciate you very much. Yes, we do. And we're going to invite you back next time when we will hear from Tom Flanders, uh, District Superintendent, the Alliance Southeast former district superintendent in the Alliance New England about what it means to be a district superintendent in the Alliance. Interesting topic. It is going to be. So we'll see you uh, next time. Meanwhile, keep the faith. Thank you for joining us on this episode of the Equipping You podcast. If you liked this episode, please consider subscribing and rating our channel. We hope you will join us for our next episode. For more information on this podcast and other ministries of the Alliance, visit equippingyou.org.